and welcome back to the first episode of uh, the new season proper. Um, we've had a couple of pre-season specials, but this is the first one proper. It's actually episode 40, if you can believe it. We've done 40 of these. We're still going. Um, we'll not put you out of your misery yet. Um, tonight, I'm joined by John Anderson. Hello, John. Bonjour. Uh, had a good good break. Enjoyed Enjoyed life without rugby. It's it's been good, yeah. It's it's been uh, it's been a long summer. It's felt nice, uh, but I think my I'm I'm feeling refreshed. Uh, the calluses in my fingers have disappeared, so we're we're ready to ready to smash out another season. <laughs> um, don't forget, you can get in touch with us um, on the blog ScottishRugbyBlog.co.uk, Twitter at Cami Black or at Scott Rugby Blog. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Apple Podcast, Acast, Spotify, which you probably already know if you're listening to us. Um, we have got a bit to get through tonight. It's a bit of a season preview. Um, we Later on, we're going to be hearing from Gary Heatley um, from GH Media about the women's season. And later on, we're also going to be having a chat with David Barnes from the Offside Line about the Keith Russell affair. But for now, to kick us off, I thought we'd discuss the most important thing um, in pre-season, which is shirts, John. Now, <laughs> there's been a bit of controversy around this. I'll, I'll I'll give you the results of our poll and then we'll hear what you think. So uh, Rory put a poll out on Twitter and the results were um, uh, Edinburgh 46% in favour, Scotland 22%, none of the above 18% and Glasgow on 14%. Is As a Glasgow fan, John, is that fair? <laughs> um... I, I don't think so. I, I I quite like the away strip. I think a lot of people are giving the strips heat because of the uh, the green rectangle affair, um, which yeah, I mean they pay their money, but um, we could probably have had a more sympathetic um, sponsor mm. set up. But no, I, I I mean especially the away top. I think I think the away top is very interesting. It was obviously a, a an attempt. You know, Macron obviously attempted to get Finn to stay. <laughs> uh, by saying look we'll, we'll confuse him we'll just we'll make it racing colors and we'll see if he stays but um yeah that didn't quite work out but um the home tops so so yeah it doesn't really feel like it's changed much no no um well, I... rugby world um rated the Edinburgh and glasgow ones in their worst three because they got someone from marie curie to rate them um, <laughs> The Glasgow one was described as, and I quote, Nick Faldo called and he wants his golfing wardrobe back. That's a bit harsh. I thought that's, so. I mean, we'll, we'll see later on. I think the the, the person from uh, Marie Claire, um, am I, did I say Marie Curie early, earlier? <laughs> I don't know. I can't, apologies if I did to Marie Curie. Uh, but the, 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 the person from Marie Claire um, also then said about the Ember one, it's orange, navy, and pixelated graphics, too ugly even from a, for a 1980s video game. Where, so I can only think that with Nick Faldo and that, that, that their only frame of reference is the 80s somehow. It's good, good frame of reference. I mean, all, all sort of cultural fashion references should be from the 80s, really. I like the Ember shirt. Now, I'm not. I'm I'm neutral either way. I like Glasgow. I like Ember. I I like the Ember shirt. I think my test is always, does it look nice with a pair of jeans? And I think the Ember one passes that test. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, for me, I mean, I don't like I don't like the rebranding. I don't like the badge. I think it, it's daft. But I agree with you. I like the way the strips look a lot better in the flesh than yeah. 
than than they did in the, the 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 ridiculous promo where Matt Scott looked like he was about to like try and eat the camera. Um, so, but no, I agree with you. I think they look good, and they will look good with a pair of jeans. Yep. Um, the other one was a Scotland shirt, which I'm not I'm not convinced about. Um, Alan Tanner got in touch on Twitter with his his hands in the ruck this week was uh, ninety pound for the Scotland shirt. Ninety pounds. Ninety pounds. I've checked in Macron, oh. and that's that is that is the correct price. Ninety-two, ah, actually, I think. Yeah. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of Haribo. It is. It's not. It's. It's not. It's not a classic shirt. It's not one. I. I wouldn't pay ninety-two pounds for that shirt. I wouldn't pay ninety-two pounds for a rugby shirt, but I. I wouldn't be persuaded particularly for that shirt. It's nothing. It's nothing. It doesn't look particularly iconic. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? See how the season goes. Yeah. 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 Um. So that was that was our fashion review. Um. <laughs> Um, I, obviously, John and I clearly know what we're talking about. Um, we're we're going to move on to um, look ahead to the season. Then um, this is—I um, should say, actually—I was speaking to my mum and dad earlier this uh, week, um, and, and whenever we talk about Glasgow and Edinburgh, my mum turns off. So, mum, we're going to talk about Glasgow and Edinburgh now. So, you shut off now. Um, but um, <laughs> John, you've previewed Glasgow um, on the blog. Um, yep. You—it's quite a pessimistic article, but then you still saw them as a losing finalist. I know it was uh, yeah it was a bit of a, a bit of a strange one. I know I'd, I'd put I sent the article to a few people that um, haven't actually seen me write before, and uh, they, they they sort of were like yeah that's a bit bit mad actually. I mean I think for me it was it's pessimistic in the sense that there is there is the summer hasn't went well for Glasgow and there hasn't been much in the way of particularly after the Scarlets game there hasn't been much. To 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 lighten the mood. However, I think there's still there is a quality in that Glasgow team. And actually, once I got to the end of it, I was kind of thinking, actually, yeah, these Southern Hemisphere guys who who've come in, you know, if we get a good season out of Hugh Jones, if we get Ollie Cable fit, if we get uh, the the Nuke um, firing, you know, there's those those guys are new signings really. Even if you know. Maybe the the, the SRU they, they might even try to pass them off as new signings. They might tell us we had sixteen or seventeen new signings this year. So um, yeah, for, I think Glasgow. Reviewing the other teams that Glasgow are coming up against, I would fancy is against everyone but Leinster still. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's that. I think you're right. The, the, the worry for Glasgow is still the forwards, and I don't think. Yeah. There's nothing in pre-season from either of those games that makes me think that's still not a problem. No, no, absolutely not. Especially the the, the last game there uh, against Northampton, they they took an absolute pummeling in the forwards, um, and it is a worry. And I know a lot of Glasgow fans are still very, very worried about it. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes, but. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because I mean, we, the the last episode where we were speaking to Damien Hughes, and I was saying, well, look, as as a fan, what is it that you can do for the players? Sort of, to, and and he was saying, just try and understand what they're trying to do. And I I don't I don't think there's any question about the technical ability of the Glasgow forwards at all. No, it's that unknown quantity of they 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 need to they they don't seem to be able to bully the opposition. Whether that's because they they just seem to lack an aggression and I, I don't know where that's going to, I can't see where it's going to come from outside of maybe Callum Gibbons. Um, Ryan Wilson, 
that that used to be his thing, but I don't know if it's just he's he's calmed down, which is a good thing on one hand because he doesn't seem to get <laughs> penalised as much. But but on the other hand, it, he seems to have lost something with you know sort of yeah. calming down his play, and you 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 would think there'd be a way of trying to get that back while still sort of maintaining a, a, a better disciplinary record. You would hope so. Um, I think I think we'd sort of all indicated last season there was there was rumours that the formers uh, forward the formers the forwards had sunned down significantly and they were they were going for this pace based game, and I think the concern is that there's been no indication of and there wouldn't be any precedent for Dave Rennie changing that, but the concern is that got absolutely mullered yeah. towards the end of the season. So yeah, I'm a bit worried about that. Yeah, but if you're going for a Southern Hemisphere approach of lighter, more mobile forwards, that you know the All Blacks have shown that you can do that and still be yep. aggressive and still hit rucks illegally and get away with it. <laughs> That's it. We're we're lacking invisibility cloaks. That's, That's it. Um, and then the backs at Glasgow. Um, it seems like Hastings is is the the first choice ten. Would you yep. say from from the two two friendlies? Happy happy with that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we've in Scotland we've been so um, conditioned over the years to expect players to have to serve their time, and um, we have that idea that you know a player isn't isn't really ready for for rugby or for, for, in fact it's evident in football as well. They're not really ready until they're sort of twenty three, twenty four. But again, you look at the All Blacks and they're throwing boys in at twenty twenty one. And it's if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough. Mm. Uh, and the only way Hastings is going to develop into that role is game time. And you know what? See if we get to the end of this season and he's had an absolute shocker and then we know he's not he's not the man or he's quite possibly not the man to, to take over uh, or to challenge Finn for the international spot yeah. and it's back to the drawing board. But He's shown shown up well so far. Um, I, I like what I'm seeing, particularly over the summer, um, the, the the Argentina game. He was he was outstanding. Yeah, I think I think what I what I liked about Hastings is his his sort of mental attitude as well. There was a an interview yeah. I think he did. I can't remember. It might have been um, in the Daily Mail. Um, and the headline was. Uh, I sort of read the headline. It was quite misleading about the article itself because the headline was something like, I'm not getting carried away with myself. But I actually read the interview itself and he was saying things like, I I want to be better than Finn Russell. That's my target. You know, I want yeah. to be better. I want to be as good as the best players in the world. And you can say things like that without being arrogant. And that's a good, you know, that's a good target for a young player to be setting themselves if, if that's their yeah. aspiration. There's no, I think, I think in the past, Scotland players have been a bit humble and a bit, Oh well, we'll just see how I get on. But it's it's good to see young players talking talking in those terms. Um, and that's that's only really evident because we've got actual players that are of world class potential now. Uh, that young guys are coming through and they're aspiring to be better than your Finn Russells, better than your Stuart Hogs. So it's a, it's a great mindset. Um, you've gone with quarters going out on the quarters in Europe as well. Are you still sticking yeah. by that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I. I think Cardiff are a decent side, but I don't see any issue there. And um, who knows what we'll get from Leon? But I, I still expect us to. I expect us to to win comfortably against Cardiff at home. Sneak a sneak a victory away. Same 
Leon, it's it's up there, and Saris is going to be the tough one. But yeah, quarters for me. Quarters. Runners up in the group. Runners up in the group. Good good call. Um, we'll 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 move on then because we 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 don't want to be accused of bias. We get accused of no, bias no. by both both sides. Um, Edinburgh. Now, who would have thought a couple of years or even at the start of last season that we'd be coming at this season with people actually predicting that Edinburgh are going to have a better season than Glasgow? Now, I. I don't know if that's just that because people weren't expecting anything <laughs> last season of Edinburgh that the Edinburgh feel like the more exciting team because they've they've got so much progress to make. Whereas Glasgow's progress it's not that they're not making it, it's just because of where they are it's more incremental. Yeah. And that's maybe no, why Edinburgh see the more exciting proposition. Yeah, that's I would say that's completely fair. I think um Edinburgh Obviously, made massive strides last season. Um, even even f- during the season, the start they 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 had the loss. To, I think it was it was Benetton or Zebra. They lost to, and it was it was like oh here we go, same old Edinburgh. Um, we're going to string a couple of runs together and then you know um, muck it up against the the the, the bottom teams. But Cockrell's got them playing some. I'm not going to say decent stuff, but he's got them playing some solid stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them do well again this year. I don't think they'll do as well as everyone thinks. No, you, you, you're you, not, not another playoff then. I think they'll struggle to get playoffs this year. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, think, I mean, Richard Cockrell said as much. I mean, he, he seems to be going around stamping out the slightest suggestion that they're in a place to compete. Um, yeah. And there's been some interesting things come out this week. Um, there was two interviews, both Mark Palmer and, and one Stuart McAnally, who said he'd, he'd, until Richard Cockrell came along, he'd never had a throwing coach. I've seen that, yeah. Which, which explains a lot of, of uh, <laughs> a lot of Scotland's problems over the last decade. And and Matt Scott made his debut for set Edinburgh at centre, having never played centre before. <laughs> Oh, Which is yeah. absolutely crazy, but they've—I mean, I guess Glasgow are quite envious of some of the the, the signings that Ember have made. Prob- I mean, to be fair to the SRU, it's probably that Ember needed to make those signings more yep. than Glasgow if you you're trying to have two competitive teams. Which I suppose it's in Scotland's interest to do that. Um, I was thinking about that. You're probably looking at. Uh, about at the minute, you would pick probably an an Ember pack for Scotland, maybe with with Johnny Gray in it, but then the Glasgow backline. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we were approaching that in the the last Six Nations as well. Um, for me, Edinburgh's the the reason I don't think Edinburgh will go as well as they did last year is I think I think their forward their forward pack is outstanding and has outstanding depth. In particular, and that's actually where Glasgow are very envious. In that we're looking over and seeing, you know, a plethora of loose heads, some seriously good international tight heads, a back row. You know, could we could can we have a, a Bradbury or a Mata or someone over to be a, a big ball carrying eight? I mean, instead we've got a um, flaky American lad coming over, or he's here now. Yeah, actually arrived, which that's good. Is, <laughs> progress, progress. Yeah, he's he's doing done one better than Newcastle so far. So you know, um, but backs, I would still all day take probably each of the Glasgow backs. If you're talking a first, probably a first or a second string, 
mm-hmm. I'll take them over their Edinburgh counterparts, with the exception of Kinghorn and uh, Big Van der Merwe. Yes, who is absolute tank. I, I think that's fair. I mean, the only um, the only other one you've got is um, Old Jacko, um, who I, I had a bit of a mixed season last year. But Ember have probably got more depth at ten, I would have thought, than Glasgow maybe. But but neither of them are Scots qualified. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> This is supposed to fade out. I, I've I built myself a soundbox. That's supposed to fade out quicker than that. I'll have to work on that for next week. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, that'll be interesting to see how that how that pans out. I mean, Jakob and they're both caught by the five year rule. I think they've both said they they seeing how things go. They're both happy to consider Scotland as an option further down the line. But yeah, I, I, maybe Darcy be good. If, I think Ember probably need the likes of Darcy Graham to kick on this year, yep. and it'll be interesting to see how. I mean, Cockrell handed Kinghorn well. Last year, I think there was an interview with John Barkley this week where he was saying that um, he felt that King Horden's the real deal and, and has been in that Richard Cockrell's very good at mind games. Yes. And the way that he manages yes. him. So, yeah, um, I I, it's that, I, I think I, I sort of agree with you. I think Ember can, I think Ember can push for playoff again, but, and I think they need to um, at, at least make the sort of, playoffs it doesn't matter if they get further than that just to try and build a bit of consistency i think it's going to be a harder ask for them in the um in europe they've got yeah somewhat um, falcons who are you know they've, they've beaten what they've beaten in a friendly race so, so i think that they'll do well against Fal- falcons um and then montpellier and toulon now it, 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 to a certain extent it's going to depend on, on what toulon turn up i think big fern's not going to do them any favors no um, and I can't see it, so I don't know. I think, yeah, it'll depend I, on what Toulon turn up, I think, and how that... I mean, Ember have got more depth than they've had in previous years, but it depends how well that depth... You know, whether that the people below the sort of first 15 yeah. step up and do the job. I saw some Edinburgh, Edinburgh fans joking that they'll be lucky to finish fourth in that group. <laughs> It's a tough, tough group. That is a hard go. It's a bit. It's a baptism of fire, but it'll you know it'll show great character if they can do yeah. some, get something out of it. Um, now uh, Scotland. So Scotland have got now that we either twelve or thirteen, depending on whether you believe the press release about how long that shirt's going to last. <laughs> um, so the, oh, we'll do the autumn first. Wales away, then Fiji, South Africa, and Argentina at home. Now Wales are the only team above Scotland in the rankings at the minute because Scotland are now sixth. Yep. Um, right. What I mean, I think probably three out of those four is what Scotland need to do. I don't. I mean, they kind of need to win, start winning on the road. They've only got five opportunities this year to yeah. sort of win on the road. So I, but I, I think I'd be happy with three out of four in the autumn. Uh, yeah, I think three out of four, as long as the fourth game, the one we lose, isn't Fiji. Even though Fiji yeah. are a phenomenal side, I think it, that just we still have this mentality whereby we would see that as being catastrophic, you know, a la USA, a la Fiji again. Um, I, I, I agree. I think I think we should be targeting three out of four and we could reasonably get all four mm. um if we're serious about being um contenders over in japan we need to we need to start beating teams away from home as you rightly say and wales is a team that we should never we should not be fearing them um we 
need to go down there. We need to put a show on because the last time was not very good. No, and the interesting uh, thing this time is it's only Pro 14 players for both sides. That's right, yeah, yeah, outside yeah. the window. So that's going to be interesting to see how that um, how that goes. Um, the Six Nations then, I, I was looking at this, and again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but you've got, I think we've said before on the podcast, traditionally it was the year that Scotland had France and England at home that, that would traditionally yep. seen as the year, but I think it's now the other way because we've got three, we've got Italy home to start with, then Ireland, then France away, then Wales at home and England away. Now, all those home games are are eminently winnable. And yes. Even the Ireland one, I would say. Um, the France one, I think, again, that's winnable. England away, uh, it depends on how things go for England, if we're being honest. Yeah, <laughs> England yeah, the, yeah. England at the minute, I'd fancy us. Um, England, but, but I don't know where I think... I'd, I'd, it's hard to know where England are going. I don't think England even know where England are going at the minute. Um no, Eddie's got no clue where England are going right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Scotland would be. It would. It. I, I think it would be an unsuccessful Six Nations if Scotland came lower than third. I think we need to be building again. Yep, and I think thirds, thirds are reasonable um, expectation. Um, I agree with you. I think that the home games are very winnable. Um, with the obviously Ireland's been the hardest one but again we need to we need to be setting our stall out now that if we're going to be taken seriously over in Japan we need to Ireland are in our group we need to be competing we have the players we beat these teams in the Pro 14 so we need to be competing um, other than that I think I think actually I would go as far as to say England away will define our season mm. yeah. in that if, if we if we compete if we put on a good show I don't necessarily. I don't need us to win, but if we go down there, we again right some of the wrongs of the the thou that shall not be named. Um, then I can see us moving in, moving in the rest of the season in a better place. Yeah. Um, if that doesn't happen, we're going to struggle. I think England keeping England to within a score or for the very least within ten points would I I would class that as a good. Loss, if there is such a thing. Yes. I mean, obviously, I'd rather yes. Scotland won, but if if you're being realistic about Scotland going and winning against the good England side of England, get pull yeah. themselves together, then a loss by no more than ten points is wouldn't be embarrassing. This is, of course, assuming that England pull themselves together and yes. are not playing on Farrell at hooker by that point or something absolute bonkers. I mean, if England have a bad Six Nations, I think Scotland should. I think I would expect Scotland to win, and if I expect yes. them, I don't think I don't mean that they sh- they, they should win. I, I mean that I would that that would be uh, my expectation of that team to go down there and perform if England have a poor Six Nations, and yes. there would be no excuse for losing. Yes, I agree. Um, then we've got the weird summer before the weird summer thing, which starts <laughs> in, in August randomly. Um, the sort of last few games for the um, before the World Cup itself. Got France away, France at home, Georgia away, Georgia at home. Um, so a bit of a European tour. Um, it's hard to know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see when we get there. It's 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 August, so that's a bit unusual. But yeah. these things happen in World Cup years. It's I think the 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 Georgia test away is going to be interesting because we're the first first tier nation to, to play there, to yeah. go out there. So that it, it's I I you know for, by all accounts is quite a formidable stadium to play in. 
Yes, yeah, 52,000 uh, capacity. Very, very smart stadium. Um, and the having spent some time with the Georgian fans when, when they were over at Kilmarnock, those guys are crazy, man. Those guys are absolutely <laughs> up for the party. So um, me, me and Gav were about to get like, taken along for a party at one point. It was, <laughs> it was going well. Um, no, they were they were brilliant. They were really, really good um Good-natured fans were excellent, yeah. and I think it's going to be. I think that's an incredibly tough fixture for us, yeah. and I'm not sure we can really tell anything from it, which is difficult because if we remember all the World Cup games, the World Cup warm-ups, there's always been an experiment, and there's always been people coming out left field. Um, last time out, it was a certain Mr. Jay Barkley who made his return to the fold, um, and then didn't get picked for the squad, so. You know, there's always there's always a bit of experimentation, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see us lose a couple of those games. Yeah, I mean, this like I said, there's five opportunities between now and the World Cup to sort the issue of playing away from home. Yeah, which isn't many. I think four out Scotland need to win four out of five again to show any progress. Yes. So that's Wales, Wales away, France away twice. England away and Georgia away. I think four out of five. Yeah. If we're going to be able to show that we're, it's not a problem anymore. Um. Now, it would be remiss of us to do a season preview without taking a look at what's happening with Scotland women and women's leagues. So earlier today, I caught up with Gary Heatley from GH Media to chat about the coming season. Uh, we're joined on the line now uh, by Gary Heatley, uh, rugby journalist from GH Media. Uh, Gary, thanks for joining us. No problems. Thanks uh, for having me. And no worries. Um, first thing we always ask anybody when it's their first time on our podcast is what club socks did wear uh, if they were selected for the Barbarians? Yeah, I, I've heard this before. I guess um, if I was, I would have to probably wear Watsonian socks. That's been the club I've kind of been involved with with over the years. Um, so, so yeah, probably probably maroon socks, but the, the likelihood of ever playing for the Barbarians is pretty slim, I think. <laughs> yeah, so that, that tends to be the thing everybody says. You never know, there might be a, a rugby journalist <laughs> select 15 at some point. Um, that would be interesting to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got you on to talk about the um, preview, a bit about uh, the women's season um, in Scotland. And there's a new structure this year, um, I think, that not many people will sort of be aware of. Yeah, so uh, I think from next year, there's a whole new structure coming in. So... So this year's season is basically from August to December. So teams are only playing each other once in the league, um, and then it goes to a league split after that. So so clubs really need to get their skates on to to make sure of a top top half finish. Um, then from next year onwards, uh, the season is going to be March and April time. There'll be a, a cup. Um, then April May into the sort of start of summer, there'll be a sort of seventh season, and then a break till August, and then the season runs from August to December. I think it's been done to kind of. Uh, help player numbers, help, you know, with a lot of consultation with clubs as to availability of players playing tournaments in specific blocks so that players know when games are and there's not a kind of a drop-off from one week to next. So it'll be definitely an interesting time and certainly for this 2018 season, it makes it very short but sweet, but, but quite exciting in a way. Do you get a sense, I mean, we, we spoke to Lana Skelton last episode um, about the upcoming season with Watsonians and um, she was she saw it as very much a positive thing that it's going to encourage more players. Is that the sense you get that, that clubs are happy with this? I think generally, I mean, there is still problems with, with numbers at some clubs, I think, and, uh, you know, but obviously the league's just started there on Sunday and from, from now I think they play pretty much every weekend for the next seven, eight weeks. So, you know, 
for clubs that have hit the ground running, I guess that's a good thing. For other clubs, it might be difficult um, if they've had a slow start. But yeah, I think in general, just condensing things like that and people knowing when they're playing, when games are, that they're every every week and not a three week break here or there, can only help. So so hopefully, you know, and there seems to be with with the junior setups in various places sort of getting stronger, more more players stepping up from under eighteen level. So they always bring enthusiasm, I guess. So hopefully it uh, it helps the, the women's game. And who who are the teams to be watching out for this uh, year in terms of the Premiership? There's there's been quite a lot of movement, I think, in the league in terms of teams coming up and down. And um, who who would who would you sort of keep an eye on this season? Yeah, in terms of the Premiership, as I say, it started there on Sunday. Um, Hillhead are the reigning champions, and they got a, a victory on the first day, so they're probably the ones still the ones to beat. Um, Stirling County won it, newly promoted Allen, seventy points to twelve, which was a good result, but I guess. You know, they'll, they'll have harder tests to come. Um, what Sonians have improved last season, they were in the, the bottom half after the split. They'll be hoping to get in the top half. And Christoph and Cougars. So I think it's going to be quite a quite an interesting t- time this year. There's a strange one at the minute in the Premier League that Murrayfield Wanderers ladies are, uh, are are looking to move away to, to play either Heritage or Stuart's Melbourne. And they didn't fulfil their first fixture. So that's still all a bit up in the air. So hopefully that can all be resolved and and they, they get back in, up and running because they are they have been one of the kind of powerhouses of the last 20 years, I guess. Yeah, that was something I was going to ask you about, actually, was uh, Murrayfield Wanderers this weekend. Is that that's a case that, that's linked to um, the ongoing issues with Murrayfield Wanderers? That's not them not being able to raise a team, is that right? As far as I'm aware, yes. I think because, obviously, Murrayfield Wanderers, the men's section, are moving to, to Roseburn Park to, to play their games. Um, I think some of the members of the women's section believed it'd be best if they moved away to, to I believe, um, Inverleith or Golden Acre to play their games to kind of keep the, the club as strong as possible. But I think there's there's various different uh, opinions on this, views on this as to where the club now sits. So uh, I think there's meetings this week between the SRU and the club and the, the various people involved. So maybe that'll be resolved before this weekend's um, fixtures. But it does seem a bit a bit messy and hopefully it can get sorted because Wanderers have given a lot to women's rugby over the last I see the last twenty years or so. Yeah. Um. The the other um sort of new thing this year is there's a uh, the number of um centrally contracted women's players um the the SRU announced over the summer there's a large number now, and um, we've got two players I think it was Megan Kelly at Sterling and Lana Skeldon at Watsonians, um, that I mean that seems to be good on the one hand but um is there any sort of rumblings that it maybe gives Sterling and Watsonians an unfair advantage having sort of uh, professional players on the books. Yeah, I guess as you say, there's now there's now eight and six of them are obviously kind of playing either down south or in in France. Um, and yeah, with the two at clubs, you know, I guess you know some some may say that that's you know a, a, an advantage for those clubs to have a professional player. I guess you know looking at it from a sort of um, you know helping the game grow. I guess the players within their clubs and uh, also where else you know I think they're going to be out coaching youngsters and things that will only help. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess time will tell how that goes. Obviously, training full-time compared to not training full-time does give you an advantage, but um, I think just in general, the fact that the number's been raised to eight um, is a great kind of positive and shows you know how far the women's game has moved in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, there does seem to be much more of a, a positive focus on the women's game from the SRU, and um, you get the sense in the men's game, certainly, that there's this idea of sort of the bigger picture of having a Scotland way of playing sort of translating right through from you know, right at the very bottom in the junior sections right through to the national level. Is is that sort of same thing happening in the women's game, that there's sort of a, an idea about how 
Scotland women want to play or is it just sort of very much trying to increase participation at the moment? No, I mean, I think that is something. I mean, I, I met with Neil Graham, who's involved in coaching at SRU over the summer, and he he recently held a sort of coaching clinic for, for women's coaches specifically. And I think Shade Monroe, the, the national team coach, was there, and Scott Forrest, the Scotland Sevens women's coach, was there with, with some of the players to show behaviours and training drills that they want to kind of, and the way they want to play. So I guess very similar to how they're trying to do with the, the men's, where it all feeds down from Gregor. I guess it's, um, it's trying to do that all feeding down from Shade. But... There is that problem in the women's game, as you mentioned, about sort of player numbers and participation. And it's it's very hard, I think, sometimes for coaches, if they're coaching a session with some Scotland caps in there and also players who are completely new to the game. So that's still a, a you know, a, something that needs to be sort of looked at in terms of, you know, how you can how you can coach such variant groups of players at one time. But, uh, but certainly there is a lot of positive things happening. And certainly the fact that Shade and Scott and Gemma Faye at the SRU seem to bang into that yeah, it can only help going forward. Yeah, and then um, we've got the Scotland uh, women's national team. Um, they've sort of caused a couple of upsets in the last few years, particularly in the Six Nations. Is is it just a case, do you think, now of them finding some consistency? Yeah, I think so. I mean, two years ago, it was just uh, massive when they when they beat Wales uh, and then beat Italy, you know, just to get a monkey off the back. A lot of those players hadn't won a game at international level. So, you know, those results just... In themselves gave them confidence and then this year they went to Ireland and won an away game which was obviously um, something they hadn't done for a long time and with these players you know there's there's six players now in England and you know six contact players are in England and other ones as well in England uh, and there's also the ones in France I think what they're doing is when they're coming back to the, the training camps and everything they really are raising the level and setting the bar higher it's not a case of that'll do anymore I think it's a case of this is the level we need to get to and you know the fact that these eight contracted players are sort of under the moniker of 2021 shows that they're all, you know, heading towards that World Cup. And it's it's not just a case of happy to be here. It's a case of they want to compete and, and show that they really are improving, I guess. What what do you think um, their target would be then this year um, with Scotland women? Do you think sort of maybe three wins this year is a reasonable aspiration? Yeah, it's still, it's still very tough with the likes of, the likes of England and, and France. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly the last two years they've been much more competitive than they ever have been, and you know when they when they have lost games, it's it's not been a, oh well we did well, it's been a you know we really should have won that. So I think the mindset has changed, and I think um, you know something Shape and Row coach is obviously keen to do is try and get as many camps as possible as he can leading up to the Six Nations, so they actually are with each other a lot more. So that has been happening with a bit more funding. So yeah, I think three wins would still be would still be a big ask, but certainly you know. Two, two wins should be looked at and certainly the home games are ones that they'll be targeting. Uh, and Gary, you've got your own podcast out now. Um, it seems to be the, the thing to do. Um, what, what what can we expect from that? Yeah, so I've just started that uh, just last week. The first one went out, so it's uh, it's the Driving Force podcast. And yeah, it's, I really just had a... I've really always been fascinated about what, what sort of drives sports, sportsmen and women to do what they do. Why, when they were a kid, did they choose, you know, did they choose diving over rowing or why did they choose rugby why did they choose any sport and then also why did they continue doing it when you know perhaps they didn't have the funding or they didn't make the team or they had a bad injury what sort of kept them kept them going and what's what's their real drive to have made the next next big event i guess so yeah last week i had jeba soul who was a, a scotland netball player and daughter of former rugby player david soul and uh skier murray bucken who's been at two winter olympics and that was 
had some really good feedback from from their discussion. It was quite fascinating to listen to them both. So so hopefully that'll that'll kick on as the months go by. But yeah, it's exciting and it's interesting to speak to people from different sports as well and get their different perceptions of how different sports work and things like that. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really interesting. So that that's on um, iTunes and the usual places. Yeah, that's that's in all the all the usual places. And as I say, that was just the first one last week. So we've had some some good feedback, and there'll be one a month. So hopefully we can. Uh, keep the guests coming in and uh, yeah it should be should be really interesting actually brilliant Gary well thanks very much for joining us today and uh, we'll, we'll get you back on the podcast soon thanks very much Kat Yeah, um, that, that that bit of Jamiroquai there is is John's special, his own jingle for a new <laughs> section of the blog and podcast that we're titling uh, "Virtual Fin Sanity." Um, John, now you're you're sort of proposing or planning, I think, to to cover a bit of um, a bit of the fin, fin sanity that's happening over in in Paris. Is that not right? That that is the general idea. We're we're available because the the coverage seems to be a bit uh, sparse at the moment. Um, but where available, I'm going to be um, sort of giving a, a, a review of um, Finn's efforts, probably on a sort of two, three, four weekly basis, just getting a, a compilation of Finn's best bits, worst bits, just basic Finn. Um, he starts to... <laughs> He done done his best uh, this weekend to, to give us a great start with uh, the... The two tries, two conversions, two penalties, and sixty-seven percent kicking percentage, and some and, missed touches, an interception, and an interception. Yeah, he, but a, he, a lovely he, offload, he, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was all the all of our favourites, kind of like a like a bag of Starmix, really. The <laughs> greatest um, hit, Finn Russell's greatest hit. Uh, yeah, yeah. We should we get a compilation album going. But yeah, I mean, the idea is we'll cover Finn, but also you know. We're, when we're bringing it up on like the podcast and stuff like that, I think it's a really good opportunity to discuss some of the some of the exiles because um, we have a couple of people now dotted around, and particularly France and England. Um, so it's worth you know having a look at just anything we've heard about those guys and just keeping keeping the listeners up to date with how they're going because frankly somebody's got to watch the top fourteen. Uh, <laughs> You know, well, yeah, so I mean, it, 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 it's an opportunity um, for for people to get involved as well. So, if you have seen a bit of the Premier Rugby, um, if you um, have, you know, and, and you want to give us updates on how players are going, and um, by all means, get in touch in the normal way, and, and you know, we'll we'll happily feature it on this section of the podcast. Um, so, I, um, yeah, it'd be interesting his little Parisian adventure. It's a bit like a, it's like a Tintin book, but with less uncomfortable colonial references. <laughs> Unless, it does look a bit tintin, doesn't it? It does, yeah, unless you count the uh, exploitation of Pacific rugby players by French teams. Woo! It's all politics, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, he looked he, he looked like, I mean, it was good. He looked like he was in his element. He, like, every, I think everyone says when, you know, Finn Russell plays well when Finn Russell's happy. And, and there were points where he was just strutting about, pointing like he was an illegal rave waiting for the base to drop. <laughs> That's a beautiful description. Yeah, yeah, he's just having a great time, wasn't he? It was, it was Finn's house party all over again. Yeah, the uh, one thing he did, I don't know if you, th- I don't know if it's the the the, the Rassing shirt. He looked like he'd put on a bit of beef. Now I don't know if that's... he looked a bit bigger. I thought as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I mean, then... yeah, which is no bad thing so long as he doesn't lose his sort of conditioning as part of that, because that would be what we'd want for Scotland. I mean, the the strength and conditioning guys. I mean. 
if he's on the Haribo baguettes or whatever, then you know, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not great, is it? Um, no, the strength but, uh, the strength and conditioning coach also owns the local boulangerie. <laughs> to be fair, he still looked about half the size of Simon Zebo, so yeah. Um, the next thing is we've got a new feature as well called Absolute Bobbins. Now I haven't had a chance to do a, 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 a jingle for it. I don't know if I will. Um, it's what we're looking for is nominations from listeners uh, about who you think's talking absolute bobbins. It could be a rugby pundit, a player, commentator, or even your close friends and relatives. And what we'll do is we will sit in judgment and decide who is right. <laughs> Um, can, it, can it be us as well, Cammy? It can be us as well. Yeah, we can. You can nominate us. You can nominate people in the comments uh, section of the blog. Um, anything like that, we'll do one a week. Because um, otherwise, we we could we could be to- here all here all night. Just all night. Um, I'm kicking us off with one, John. So you're sitting in judgment on this. It's Mike, Michael Liner uh, who said. I've always said that sport is the only business where a monopoly is not a good thing. I'm not sure about that. Um, And I think the All Blacks are in danger of heading in that direction. Yes, it's wonderful to watch, but if they're beating everyone by 50 points, it takes away from the game and people will stop going. I am calling absolute bobbins on that. John, am I right? Uh, Yes, yes, you are. Uh, The All Blacks, um, in this this instance, you're absolutely right. Um, If the All Blacks continue to beat everybody everybody will turn up to watch the all blacks beat everybody just by the 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 sheer pool of the quality of that side i mean being able to sit and say you've seen Bowden barrett in the flesh or you've seen your damien mckenzie's or your your niles or whoever it's they are the best rugby players in the world and it's phenomenal to watch it's uh, just Everyone else, and you know, you'll not hear international coaches saying, "Oh, yeah, it's really boring that the All Blacks win all the time because you know we um, uh, we're just you know bored of getting beaten." They're striving to be as good as those guys. Yeah. And it's it, it, look how different the game is now because of just the sheer quality of coming out of New Zealand. It's phenomenal for me. So yeah, that's that's absolute bobbins. If you've got anything you think's absolute bobbins, get in touch. Um, now we will get back and we'll do this. Yeah, it's um, where's Doogie Donnelly? Um, we've had a couple of shouts for this this week. Um, Chloe got in touch on the blog late uh, today and said um, she saw undefeated British and Irish lion Alan Dell sitting next to her at a bar <laughs> talking to his wedding planner. So uh, all the best to Alan and his partner. Um, is Alan Dell the most successful British and Irish lion of all time? One um, one scrum against the head in one match. I think I think it's I I, I think it's reasonable. Yeah. Why let the truth get in the way of a good rumor? Exactly. Uh, Ian Wallace, everyone's favourite bus driver, uh, saw Callum <laughs> Atkinson on the number twenty-two. Uh, he says the fella is a giant. Now he's six foot ten. Fact fans, not not Ian. Ian's beard six foot ten. Um, <laughs> Callum Atkinson is six foot ten. Um, now is he, the next question is Kim Kardashian West, our latest listener. Um, she tweeted out asking for podcast recommendations, so I recommended the podcast. And uh, overnight, we had two downloads from New York. So watch, <laughs> watch this space. Um, Fee on Twitter. Um, now, this is a great spot. It's, she, Fee saw Mark Dodson flying BA business class to Embra uh, with what she described as a battered wee world rugby wheelie suitcase. 
Now, I was getting live updates on this on Twitter. He took the hot towel on offer and wiped his neck, face and hands. I should have... Oh, if, I'd, if I'd thought of this in advance, we'd have the Barry White, White music underneath this. <laughs> he took the hot towel on offer and wipes his neck, face and hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he didn't listen to the safety announcement uh, and he glanced at BT Murrayfield from the sky. So that's a lovely image. Um, oh, he only had carry-on luggage because uh, he didn't see him at the at the carousel. So, yeah. Um, any any spots from you at all? Anything from you? Over the summer, uh, John? No, no, it's been it's been fairly quiet in the old uh, George Square. Uh, with all, I think the, the rugby players avoided the um, the the, inter- the European Championships, so I didn't see MD. I was over at Scotstoun the other day, um, but I, actually I didn't see MD there either. So no, uh, no, sad times. No, well, I've. If you've seen anybody out and about, and we had a we had a very near miss where we almost had Dougie Vipound on this podcast, and I would have had to have asked if he had ever been in a pair of speedos in the Aloha Leisure Bowl as alleged once. Um, that that has not that did not come off though, um, possibly because the person arranging it listened to the podcast and decided against it. Um, but if you have seen anyone out and about, get in touch again in the usual ways, and we will read it out on the podcast. If you are a celebrity, tangentially. Uh, linked with Scottish rugby and people start bothering you and spotting you, uh, then by all means take out a restraining order. It's not our fault. Um, <laughs> speaking of Mark Dodson, as we were a few minutes ago, um, there was a story that gripped Scottish rugby this summer, and that was a fallout from an employment tribunal finding that the SRU had unfairly dismissed its former head of domestic rugby, Keith Russell, uh, who also happens to be Finn's dad. Um, now, the story came about thanks to the reporting of David Barnes from the Offside Line and Mark Palmer of The Times. And we caught up with David Barnes earlier today to have a chat with him about that story came about. Okay, I'm joined uh, now by David Barnes from the Offside Line. Um, we're going to chat about the um, Keith Russell affair, as we've dubbed it, um, the, the the sort of story that gripped Scottish rugby over the summer. Uh, but first things first, David, it's your first time on our podcast, so we get to ask you what socks you'd wear if you uh, were selected for the Barbarians. I should have seen this coming. I listened last week and thought I should. Um, I would have to say um, Trinity Aki's socks. I went to school at Trinity Aki's and played one or two games um, before going off to university and elsewhere um, and then getting injured and not playing again. But um, I'm still involved there. I'm on the committee. So I think it would be the black and yellow of Trinity Aki's. A very good choice. Um, the, the, we're, we're sort of talking about the... The, what we've we've called it the Keith Russell affair because we could we really think it, it felt like it needed a name. Um, yeah. How long have you been following the story for? Then have you been following it right from uh, Keith Russell's dismissal? Yeah, right, right from the very beginning, really, which was back in June two thousand and seventeen, I think. Um, and I got a phone call from um, you know I, I, I cover quite a lot of club rugby. And I got a phone call from a fairly senior figure at one of the fairly senior clubs, um, just telling me that Keith Russell had um, left you know the SRU business fairly um, quickly. Um, so, I mean, I didn't think a huge amount about it at the time. I didn't know Keith very well or, or well at all. Um, and I kind of thought people at that level, you know, they do come and go, you know, and I didn't know enough about it to, you know, you know to be jumping to any conclusions. So I, I, I phoned the media office at the SRU and I was quite surprised that they didn't seem to know about it either. But then I thought, you know, maybe it's not a big priority for them. Um, so in the end, uh, you know, the offside line, I wrote a fairly straight news piece saying, you know, Keith Russell left, you know, has left the business, um, and there wasn't much more to say. I'd actually tried to phone Keith, um, and his number, his phone had been cut off, which we later found out was because um, they said you'd cut it off within a half an hour of leaving the place. <laughs> so really, I hadn't spoken to Keith, and it was just a very straight news story back in June 2017. 
So were you then, fall, did you then sort of pick it up again when it hit tribunal stage? Yeah, and after that kind of life goes on, you know, there's games to report on, and you, you know, you more or less forgot about it. You know, you kind of, you know, at the back of your mind, you were keeping, you know, your ear to the ground. And then I think the Scotsman reported on it when, you know, we knew, we kind of knew it was going to an employment tribunal. That was the kind of whispers, um, and the Scotsman actually picked up on it first. They reported, I think, on the first day of the employment tribunal in February, um, and then kind of dropped it really. And I don't know whether that was, you know, they decided it wasn't, you know, exciting enough or whatever. And, I, and it was. And it was section but that that kind of you know kind of got me thinking about it again um so at that point i tried to reach out to keith um again and i did it through linkedin actually i sent him a linkedin message and didn't really expect to hear back from him but then got a message back saying that he'd be keen to talk once the hearing was over um and that mark palmer of the sunday times had also been trying to get in touch and you know you'd, 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 <coughs> sorry you'd like to speak to both of us together if, you know if that was okay and it was really i mean <coughs> sorry it was um it was Keith's show, so we just, you know, we agreed to do that. So, you know, I think the following week or two weeks later, we went and met Keith at his house um, out in Bridge of Allen and talked it through with him. So when you sort of, uh, presumably then, when, when you get the tribunal findings, it, 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 it how difficult was it to sort of pick out? Because there's so much that came out of it, not just about well, yeah, Keith absolutely. Russell's well, dismissal. I mean, it was very interesting because you know, we met Keith before the hearing had, you know, he'd finished the hearing and he'd been told, I think it was, I was trying to remember just before you called me back there, I think it was three or four weeks he was told, you know, that the judgment would, you know, would be delivered. Uh, but we decided we wanted to speak to him first so that we could be ready to go, because we, we, we guessed it was going to be fairly complicated. So we kind of went and met Keith, and, uh, you know, he ran us through it, and, you know, we sat with him and his wife Sally, and it was, you know, he was a very credible witness of that, you know, for that sound too pompous, but, you know, he, you know, he came across very well. He was fully open, you know, was, you know he criticised himself, you know, he, you know, there was no, you know, there was no... You know, he just came across very well. So we kind of, at that point, thought, you know, this, you know, this doesn't, you know, this looks pretty bad for the SRU. Um, but then it took, it ended up taking 14 weeks for the, um, for the judgment to come through. So really, we'd, I, we'd written our pieces, I think, well, I think Mark had as well, based on the interview, um, and we kind of thought that the judgment would be fairly black and white, saying Keith Russell's won his case or Keith Russell's lost his case, um, but this is what Keith's got to say. Um, and then when the judgment came through, yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, it's something like a 28-page document. It was quite, it was quite hard going, but it was pretty compelling stuff. I didn't think I'd um, be quite as um, gripped by uh, a legal document as I was when I read, when I read through that. <laughs> so, so how hard was it then to sort of, sort of, because because you sort of spaced out, I guess, the, the the different parts of the story. How how hard was it to sort of work out what should sort of come out first, and then you know how, how you would spread the sort of rest of it out. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that's when you're lucky. You know, I run a I run a website, so um, you know I've got as much space as I want. You know, I don't have to you know you know restrict it to um, you know to one or two pages. I think Mark had a tougher time than I did with the Sunday Times because there was I mean there was just so many strands to it because you know there was the issue about how Keith as a you know as, a, as an individual being treated. There was um, you know his thoughts on um, you know why why that had happened, which tied into you know club rugby, which is another kind of hot topic. So I mean I kind of um, I kind of cheated and I think I ended up writing four pretty long winded articles that we published covering the four main strands um, all at the same time. Um, Mark had to kind of try and condense it into one piece, so he's probably more of a talented journalist than I am. Um, but uh, <laughs> but don't tell him I said that. Um, so yeah, but, I mean there was just so much to it. it was you know there was times it was kind of um, you know overbearing. You're kind of looking at it and thinking you know. I have to shut up now that you know people are going to be bored of me. But then you know, it, it, to me, it just seemed all very important. Um, and I think I realised that 
you know, a lot of it was for the real rugby, you know, the rugby aficionados, people that wanted to be bored by it. You know, we weren't trying to sell it in the back page of the sun, you know, a kind of sexy news story. It was, you know, it was pretty important stuff about the game. So, you know, I, I think that's how it justified, you know, being as long-winded as it was. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I think for, from our point of view, we've uh, certainly what we've seen is there's a lot more people interested in the administrative um, functions of the SRU and how how it how it's put together as a result of this story. So I, I guess that that's yeah. a that's a positive thing to come out of it. Um, particularly, yeah. I think the way that the clubs were perceived to be viewed. Do you, I mean the, yeah. the AG, you covered the AGM um, on the website? Is that um, do you think the clubs sort of came away from that with the answers they wanted after all the um, revelations? Uh, no, I'm not sure they got the answers they wanted. I think there was definitely a, a sea change in attitude. I mean, Rob Flocker, the president, or the, you know, who was president, that was his last um, AGM, and Colin Grassy, the chairman of the board, you know, both spoke up and both spoke very well, and you know, you know, said they were, you know, they were sorry about the, the you know, the, the, the fuss that had been caused and the kind of bad publicity. So I think there was an acknowledgement there um, that you know things had gone wrong. I mean, to me, actually, the point, a separate but fairly important point. The thing that really kind of drove the story on for me was, you know, after the Keith Russell thing came out, you know, we didn't hear anything from SRU for a week, and then there was a statement that came out that kind of dismissed it all. You know, they said that, um, you know, they accepted the findings, but, um, you know, they were going to investigate it, and they dismissed, you know, some of the things Keith Russell said in these interviews. So to me, that was really, you know, I could, I, I could live with it being an aberration and, you know, that they got it wrong. And Mark Dodson's a very pushy guy, which is probably a good thing that he maybe got carried away in this instance. And, you know, you know that that's not great that these things happen. And it was more at that stage it felt like they weren't accepting that they'd done anything wrong. Whereas at the AGM, there was an acknowledgement that some of the things that had gone wrong, gone on, aren't acceptable. Um, in terms of whether the clubs have got their answers, I don't think so. You know, that we've now got you know, an investigation into you know the non-disclosure agreements and how you know how they've been used by the SRU, and you know we've got a, a kind of review of how the club structure is going to be. Um, you know this new agenda three restructuring, and you know how that's going to be implemented. So they've not got the answers, but I think there's a possibility that they might get the answers now, which was which wasn't there before, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and on the non-disclosure agreements, because that that's the thing that came out, of course, that you know uh, Keith Russell was offered to one to you know sign this and here's some money and off you go, uh, but declined yeah. Um, yeah. in order to sort of fight fight his corner. Um, at the minute, we've got the review coming out. Is there, somebody was asking me: Is there any indication that the non-disclosure agreements apply to players, or is it just ex-staff that we think that they've been used for? Well, no. I mean, it was interesting. So when Colin Grassy at the at the board meeting, uh, sorry, at the EGM, sorry, um, you know, announced that there was going to be this review, he said that um, there's been 600 staff that had left the SRU in the time that since 2011, which was when Mark Dawson took over as chief executive. You know, so that, that that would be including players because you know, there's a big there's a, a big churn of players. Um, but then he said there's only there's only been 14 NDAs for non-playing and coaching staff. So you know you're comparing apples and pears there, really. So you know my reading of that would be that there'd probably be, you know, I don't know. Certainly, the investigation is into non-playing staff signing NDAs. Um, the fact that he did mention how many have been issued for players um, does that suggest that it's Fairly commonly used. That's, I mean, that's the big question. I think perhaps that it's it's, it's fairly standard with uh, with players that they that they sign it. So it's, it's a kind of grey area, and it's something that probably will have to be addressed when they come when they come back with the findings from this first 
this first investigation into 14 NDAs, we, we need to ask, does it, you know, why does this not include players? Should it include players? Yeah, um, the the two we've got two reports then coming out. There's one um, I think which is sort of the review of what happened from an SRU point of view. That's coming out early September. Is that right? Yeah, that was that was the date they gave us. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the second review that's on purely on the use of NDAs, and we haven't got any idea when that's coming. Is that right? Well, I'm, yeah, it's, it's not entirely clear. I think it might be that. The, the second review is being tied into the first review. So, you know, Leslie Thompson, who's a board member, but, you know, a highly respected lawyer, um, you know, former Solicitor General, was conducting the first review. And it seems that she's come back and said, you know, that, that review was into the Keith Russell affair. And it seems that she's come back, although we don't know because nobody from the SRU executive was made available to speak after the AGM, that she's come back and said, there's more to this. We need to broaden it out. So it's almost as if there's a review and then there's another bigger review being added on. And they're all part of the same thing. It's my reading of it, but we're not entirely sure on that. And what's the sense, I mean, is the sense you get that, because a lot of people are quite sceptical that this is an internal review being held by, you know, a very yeah. respected lawyer, but but somebody who is on the, the board. Is there a sense that this, uh, is there any sort of sense of hope that this is going to be a sort of transparent process or is there still some reservations, do you think, out there about what the outcome of this might be? Yeah, I think, I mean, the proof will be in the pudding. I think it'll be very clear of it. So I think, I, I think Leslie Thompson is the type of character that she's not going to allow herself to be compromised by, you know, having a, you know, having a, a review that doesn't, doesn't deliver what it should deliver on. So I think she'll be pretty insistent on that. You know, they've, they've, they've instructed, um, you know, a pretty respected firm to come and assist them and do, you know, interview the, the, the people that need to be interviewed. So I'm fairly hopeful that, um, you know, whatever we, whatever's delivered on the, at the start of September, you know, will get to the bones of it. And I mean, I suppose the, the key is what's, you know, what's the terms of reference of that review? We don't really know. We've not been told the wording of it. But I, I, I'm fairly comfortable that Leslie Thompson will insist that if she's putting her name to it, that, you know, it has to be, it has to do what the, the clubs and the rugby supporters expect of it. Yeah, um, it was interesting. We were speaking to. Uh... Damien uh, Hughes last week about uh, organisational culture and I know that uh, Mark Palmer spoke to David Soule who does this sort of thing as, as his job now and he was sort of suggesting that you know that, that Mark Dodson was, was a necessary character for the changes that needed to happen in the SRU but maybe now was the time either for a change in the manner of leadership or a change in leadership because you know the change should be much more doesn't need to be sort of driven from top down now. Is that? Do you think that again? That's something that the clubs are looking for. Is is, is a sort of a change in the approach the SRU are taking from the top? Yeah, I, I think they're certainly um, looking for a change of approach. I mean, I just think that some, you know, the Keith Russell, the Keith Russell affair, as we call it, has highlighted that, you know, that you know, the, the, the approach is far too um, gung ho at times. Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily um, there's a demand amongst the clubs or anyone for a change of change of regime. We've been, you know, I was very conscious, um, and so was Mark, that we, you know, we're not looking for a change of regime. We just were very concerned about, you know, some of the things that have been going on. Um, I think the clubs still recognise that Scottish rugby, you know, and you know, as do I, Scottish rugby is, you know, you look at the national team, it's a lot better, it's a lot better fun watching Scotland now than it was 10, 15 years ago. And Mark Dodson, and you know, some of the things that he's been involved in, you know, you know. Should take great credit for that. So, um, you know, we don't. Do we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater? I suppose it all comes down to whether you know Mark Dodson and the executive can, um, you know, 
you know, how they, how they finish, deal with this, this situation that they're facing, this crisis that they're facing. Um, but I don't think it necessarily has to be a case of, let's get rid of Mark Dodson. I certainly don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um, David, thank you very much for speaking to us. That's been really interesting uh, to get an update on the story. I'm sure we'll um, we'll get you back on the podcast. Um, I'm sure. Uh, short, probably short, probably not too long now when the, when the report comes out. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah, it's uh, it's time for Hands in the Rock or any other business section of the podcast. Um, we want to know what's had its hands in your ruck recently. Uh, we had a couple of shouts for this. Um, Andy Render said, fly halves taking the spot for a penalty kick to touch and then taking three or four more yards. Uh, Malk B also chipped in to say the sidestep by hookers at lineouts was his. Um, do you, what, what's your Hands in the Rock then, Jordan, this week? It's neither of those two. Those okay. don't bother me in any way, shape, or form. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, guys. Take as um, much, yeah. Take as much space as you want, guys. Aye, knock, knock yourselves out, boys. Um, yeah, for me, it's it's back to our favourite topic, which was strips. Right. Actually, and it's um, the 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 constant. Um, so obviously, we seem to be doing a strip a year just now. Uh, with Macron for for each of the pro teams plus Scotland or in two strips actually. Um, and the idea, I've seen a lot of supporters complaining when the latest batch came out. You know, it's, oh, it's a disgrace. Macron are milking us for everything. And, then, you know, it's, oh, how dare they fleecing innocent supporters. Guys, it's a public service announcement. You don't have to buy it. No, Nobody's going to, we're not. So when we're sitting in Murrayfield and you're watching the game, you don't look over and go, that guy's got that strip on from two years ago. <laughs> What a loser. <laughs> it's not what we do. <laughs> Guys, just don't buy it. I don't mind. Um, yeah, it's it, it really, I find it very confusing. Yeah. I saw someone saying as well about wanting to buy last year's Glasgow top because this year's is abysmal. It's like, knock yourself out. There is tons of places that you can buy it. Namely, well, I'm not going to name them because we're not promoting any selling sites on this this podcast but yeah there's Unless plenty of pay us. If, if any selling sites want to pay us money we will take that money to sell last year's Glasgow yeah go go to those sites and enter the code Scott Rugby Pod 20 and if enough people do it they might get curious <laughs> <laughs> what is this crazy crazy code these lunatics are doing they yeah. all want to buy glasgow last year's shirt, last year's shirt and they're all they're all putting this strange code in who are these guys um yeah no i agree with you i think i my i tend to buy a shirt once every five six years if i'm honest i normally wait until the one i like is replaced and then i buy it cheap, cheap then buy oh, it cheap yeah I'm I'm like two years behind just in terms of like because I I'm refuse to pay full price for a shirt. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll pick them up cheap. I got a top tip guys. If you um look around uh look around non Scottish Scotland based stores, I got my um I got my current Scotland top that I've got, which is the nice uh one pre last World Cup, which is the classic white collar one. The nice, nice. The, the nice one. I got that for twenty quid um from an online shop in Wales. 
So that's uh, cash should get. I have my own shopping show on BBC or something like that. Cammy's Cammy's top shopping tips. Um, but no, I agree with you. I think that's you don't have to buy the shirt. Buy the one you want, and if you don't want to pay the money, wait until it's you know they replace it, and then it'll be cheap or cheaper. Exactly. Yeah. Um, my hands in the ruck was. Have you seen the Sergio Parisi red card? Oh my goodness! It yes. Is, no, it is not the red card. Although that was a ridiculous decision. That it was. was it was the reaction to the red card of the game's gone soft. Oh. The, yes, that was a ridiculous card. Yes, that he should never have been. Get, it wasn't a red. It wasn't anything. Um, it was entirely the def, the def, well. I suppose it depends who you see the defend the tackler's fault. Um, for just running into Parisi's shoulder, effectively. Yep. But one incident, one referee making a, a dubious call does not mean the entire game's gone soft. It's people, well, human people make mistakes. That's what happened. Let's hope, fingers crossed, touch wood, that the um, French authorities see sense mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow. Um, and that the red card's rescinded as it should be, um, because that you know I think that's probably the sensible outcome here. But yeah, one you know one swallow does not a summer make. Yeah, no. I, I I totally totally agree with you. The reaction from from some quarters was was absolutely outrageous, and you you're you're like actually I don't think anyone was at fault. Yes, the guys come in high, as a lot of players are trained to do now. Yeah. And he's impacted. Parisi has stood his ground. He's impacted. It's a collision. And, it happens in yeah. a collision sport. And and Parisi did. He does take a little bit of a nudge forward towards the guy's Aye. face. Still. So, but anyway, yeah, I, I don't. It wasn't a red card, but let's all just calm, calm down. down. Yeah. Yep. Um. Now coming up on the blog. Um, because we're done on the podcast for this week, so it keep we will be back in two weeks. So about the eleventh of September, we'll be recording. So it'll probably hit you the twelfth Wednesday, the twelfth. Um, in the meantime, coming up on the blog, Ian Hay is going to be looking at the issue of Murrayfield becoming the new national stadium if that comes off. Uh, Ian, I've had a quick look at the article. Ian's got some very strong opinions on that. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to no. no spoilers. I'm not going to tell you which way he went. Um. <laughs> but um, so so there's that uh, worth keeping up, and we'll be covering sort of the usual things. We've got um, a couple of new writers on the blog. Um, there's a bit on um, is Blair Kinghorn better than Stuart Hogg? It's quite an interesting read on the blogs. Worth checking that out. <laughs> <Don't>, <laughs> now John's comment is more on the concept of Blair Kinghorn being better than no, Stuart Hogg, no, not the, not the quality the, of the writing. What you're writing is outstanding. It's re- it's a really well written article. I'm just disagreeing. The concept. Just the concept. <laughs> Just the concept. Uh, so yes, yeah, so do get on the blog now. We've got a new thing we're doing with the podcast. We have merchandise coming out. We're wait, waiting for Rory to cast his final uh, critical eye over it and give us the, the give us the old uh, thumbs up to go ahead with it. But in the meantime, we've got stickers to give out. So. <laughs> Um, we will be voting at the end of every podcast for who we think's given the best contribution, not ourselves, because you know we don't need stickers. Um, we can get them; we can just buy them ourselves. Um, give them to ourselves, even. Um, so, whoever sends in the best tweet, the best message on Facebook, the best comment on the blog, we will pick it out at the end of the episode and give that person a sticker. Now, I am nominating purely because of the live updates fee and her Mark Dodson story. Um, do I have any dissent, John? Oh, no, no. I think, I mean, that showed uh, almost a concerning amount of commitment <laughs> to, to the cause. Um, I, I think that sets the bar for stickers. That's, yeah. I mean, 
it doesn't it doesn't get much more creepy than that. So no, well done, Fee. Knock, knock us out, guys. Yeah, and um, Fee, if you get in touch, you know who you are, Fee. Uh, if you get uh, DM me on Twitter or pop us an email, podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk with your address, and I'll get that out to you. Um, so yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, if this is, we're trying to make it this season more about you guys. So if there's anything you want us to cover. If you want to get involved in any way, if you've got a club and you've got some news you want to share, if you've got interesting stories to tell, drop us a line in the normal way. Uh, You can find all the details on the blog. Um, For now, though, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from John. Au revoir.